Hey everybody, TLC here today with our another episode, this one this week, and uh, happy Holy Week, by the way, Holy Week for, uh, I mean, I'm assuming most of my viewers are Christian, though that might be an unfair assumption, I don't know, but just gonna really assume that, and even if you're not, I mean, it is Christian Holy Week, I don't know if it's anything for you, maybe it's some kind of special holiday for you too, birthday or something. Uh, but if not, I hope you just have a good week and have had good weeks so far. But uh, for people who are Christian, this is, yes, Holy Week with Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and good old Easter Sunday. I mean, it'll be Easter for everybody that celebrates Easter. So everybody in America, I don't know about other places, what you guys, I mean, I'm sure that other places celebrate Easter, but I don't know if, like, exactly what other places celebrate Easter, like, the full extent. So I don't know, like, I don't, like, I don't have a list, I guess. So, uh, yeah, point being, this is this is the week of Easter, this is Holy Week, and as I feel all Christians should do, definitely, unless you're, like, you know, too young, is that you should be watching on Good Friday The Passion of the Christ, like, the movie, because it is just, like, the best best cinematic depiction of the passion of Christ probably ever that has ever been created like well out of anything that's ever created 100% but out of like I don't know what new thing is going to come up like I mean the chosen may have something about that and there's a new thing called the two thieves coming out that's supposed to or that came out I think I think it might have come out already but either way it's coming out soon or has come out already and it's supposed to be nice, though it doesn't obviously show the whole passion, it's just the story of the two thieves, as in the good thief and the bad thief, who are crucified alongside Jesus, of course. But that is only a small portion of the entire, you know, uh, passion story. And the passion is basically the most important part of our faith, because it is literally the tenet upon which everything else in our faith is built. If we don't have Jesus dying for our sins... We don't have the rest of Christianity. Like, it, it just doesn't exist. Jesus' sacrifice for us and the fact that he died for all, all of our sins and took on the punishment that we collectively deserve on himself instead so that we could be free and have eternal life is literally the foundational tenet of our entire faith. Across all Christian doctrines, all different Christian people and different sects of Christianity— that is the one uh, unchanging factor, unless there is some new kind of Christianity that came along that I don't know about. And listen, I don't know, man. It's it's not impossible at this point, but as far as I know, there is not a uh, they, yeah. No, there's no there's no new there's no new Christianity that thinks Jesus didn't. Die for our sins. Anyway, so for today's episode, what I wanted to do was actually talk about the Passion of the Christ and kind of go over the symbolism and uh, all those things in it. And if you haven't watched it yet, what you should do is pause this episode here and go watch it and then come back and watch the rest of this. Because you, you should watch the actual Passion of the Christ before watching my review on the symbolism in Passion of the Christ. Because you likely won't understand most of the symbolism if you haven't watched the actual movie. And even if you read the Bible and know the stories, there are some things in the Passion that are 
Creative License by Mel Gibson, who's just an incredible director. And uh, you you do want to see those things before listening to this because you'll want to see them for real before I describe them to you. So since this, uh, you know, I'm going to have a lot to talk about on the symbolism thing. I could literally talk for hours about this, but I'm not going to because I'm not going to take up all of your time. Um, I will. I may talk about this more another time or have some other thing where I talk about it. Uh, uh, we're not going to really have a meme segment today because this is, is supposed to be more of a solemn time around, you know, Holy Week and Good Friday because we are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. But in, if you, but me, since memes are a good holy thing, you know, food for the soul and whatnot, we should. Uh, I, I'm going to give a mention to all of those Passion of the Christ memes, like the whole meme format with Mel Gibson talking to the Jesus actor covered in blood, and it's like the. So the memes are always like it's like me complaining about the problems, and this other guy who has like actual issues, and I'm just complaining about like stubbing my toe or like having to pay an extra two dollars for coffee or something dumb and there's like a person that's like lost their entire family or something so yeah those those memes are tend to be funny anyway let's get into the actual uh description symbolism in passion of the christ uh so the first one is personally one of my favorites Though, I mean, all of these aren't, like, my favorites because I'm choosing to talk about them. But it just, it's just really interesting to me. Because, and to understand it, you have to understand the scene of uh, Jesus' temptation in the desert, which is one of my favorite Bible stories ever of all time. So, I mean, I'll say it for people who don't know them. I'm sure most people know. Also, let's give you the quick, one, quick rundown. <laughs> Basically... Jesus, before he begins his public ministry, so before he gets all the disciples and goes around preaching, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert to prepare himself phys- uh, physically and spiritually, though I guess less physically, since he would be running low on food and probably feel a lot weaker, actually. But <laughs> while he's in the desert and nearing the end of the fast, uh, the devil appears to him and starts to tempt him with all kinds of different things. He basically has, tells him, oh, turn this stone into bread because you're hungry. Jesus says no, and then he tells him to throw himself off this cliff because to show that he's the son of God because the scriptures say that the angels will catch him, and then Jesus says no. Then after that, uh, the devil tells Jesus to bow down to him, and he'll give him all of the world's kingdoms, and Jesus says no again. So at this, the devil decides to leave, but... Uh, everybody, like, kind of thinks of it as, oh, well, Jesus defeated the devil and the devil's just kind of gone. I'm going to try it again. But that's not even what, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the devil left until an opportune time. But he doesn't appear in the Bible again. At least never really by name. Like, I mean, he appears at points not to tempt Jesus, but, like, for example, it says that Satan entered into Judas but, I mean, that is largely uh, understood as being a metaphorical sense of Judas falling into demonic things, not like Satan physically appearing and being like and sticking his hand into Judas or, like, or like fusing with Judas or something like that. It's more that Judas fell into sin by like he fell back into his sin, his obsession with money and his greed. And that was what led him to end up betraying Jesus for money. 
But what the Passion of the Christ does is that it actually has Satan appear again. And Satan appears to Jesus when he's in the garden. And I know some maybe somebody will say, like, oh, well, isn't that blasphemous? Well, I mean, to be fair, people haven't actually, like, there hasn't been, a, 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 like, a religious authority figure in any kind of Christian faith that has ever said that, like, the passion is blasphemous. I'm sure there have been people who have thought that personally to themselves. I don't think it's blasphemous. I think it makes biblical sense. It's also a movie in the end. So even though it is meant to teach and show us the passion of the Christ in a way that we can never really understand without it or without some kind of visual representation, like it, it is still a movie and Mel Gibson and all the writers have the creative license to do some other things that make it a little more interesting, I guess, if you want to put it that way. But like, even so it makes sense. And there's no, nothing saying the devil didn't do that. The devil always comes to us and tries to tempt us when we're at our lowest. So why would he not try the same thing again with Jesus, who was at his lowest in the garden when he's in the agony in the garden, praying to God and begging God to uh, save him from having to go through the horrible torture of the passion, which is his, you know, all of the suffering and the torture he had to endure and carrying the cross up until he died on the cross. So basically everything from him being arrested to his literal death is the passion, because passion means suffering. Which is where we get things like compassion, because you need to suffer with, because you're helping people, somebody who's suffering, because you know somebody's having a bad time, you show them compassion. I get it, yeah, I mean, I, I digress, but point here being, it makes sense that Satan would appear to Jesus not only just in this, uh, in the agony in the garden, but also throughout the passion, which he does. Especially, not only because it makes sense because he'd be able to, like, kind of get Jesus as lowest and maybe have him, when he's weak now, fall into sin and uh, fall for the temptation, but also because Satan realizes, since Satan has, like, an otherworldly understanding of the scriptures and of God's plans and intentions, not to say that he knows everything God's going to do, but he has a better idea than we do, most likely, since he was with God at the beginning of time. So he knows more about God than we do at this point. I mean, he has been in the physical presence of the guy. So he, Satan most likely knew that if Jesus was indeed to die on the cross and go through with the passion, death, and resurrection process, that Jesus would triumph over death and Satan would lose. Because that's what was foretold in the scriptures, and Jesus said it himself multiple times, and this has always been God's plan ever since Adam and Eve decided to screw everything up. And I mean, to be fair, his, it, he knew this was going to happen the entire time, so Satan most likely knew that something like this was going to happen, so he did his best, he's doing his best to try to prevent that from happening, because he would prefer if we did not get eternal life and instead spent eternal torment suffering in hell with him than, you know, being, having eternal life, spending it with God, because he doesn't really like humans that much. And that brings us to our next uh, point that I wanted to go over with this, which is Devil Baby, everyone's favorite character. So I don't know if you noticed, I mean, you most likely did, because it was kind of horrifying, but that point when Jesus is being uh, scourged on the pillar, 
and you just see Satan walk by holding a baby, and then he, even though the actress is a she, but I mean she's playing a male character, so Satan pulls off the baby's like a wrap thing. I don't know what it's called, like the swaddle. I, I guess I don't I don't really know what that thing is called like the, the thing you wrap the baby I mean blanket but I think there's another word for it I don't know this is unimportant point being she he it <laughs> Satan removes the cover from the baby's head and you see that has this like mangled disgusting face it looks like like the face of like a goblin and like a grown man and it's just so like horrifying and unnatural. It's like act that it's uh, like actually scary of how just how unnatural and terrifying that thing is to look at and behold this like mangled face of a, that supposed thing is supposed to be a baby. Like we were expecting a baby, and you just pull off and it's that, and you're just horrified because it's so so unnatural and disturbing. And, like, that, that thing is just terrifying, like, entirely. It's not, it's, it's horrifying. And the idea behind the devil baby, as he is uh, commonly called, I guess, mostly by me, but I'm sure there are other people that call him that because he never really got a name. Actually, I think, I think he's even in the, like, I, th- I think there's a thing in the end, like, in the end credits, actually, about de- the devil baby actually calling him by that name. But even not, uh, even if there isn't, you know, he is, it, it's a, it's a, it's a devil baby. It's like a demon baby. And the reason behind that is actually a very interesting concept. Basically, Gibson, uh, Mel Gibson, that is, when he was making the movie and he decided to make a part, another part with Satan in it, he was thinking of what is like the most innocent thing that he could imagine. And... He, he comes with the image of a mother and her child. So, since he knows that Satan loves to pervert innocence and destroy it and turn it into something distorted and evil, he decided to take what he assumed was the most innocent, like, image that he could come up with in his head and distort that into something evil and horrifying and mangled and deranged and depraved. So, he made Devil Baby. So Satan walks around in the clothing of a mother, car- carrying Devil Baby. Which, yeah. And then, and thus, Devil Baby was born. Though, the idea of Devil Baby, even though he's not actually called Devil Baby, is actually pre-Passion of the Christ. And was a th- it's a Satanist symbol, actually, which I did not know until today. But it, uh, the symbol of a, like, basically devil baby, the devil baby, like a baby that looks like devil baby or some kind of other demonic monster baby thing is a Satanist symbol, apparently, that is, like, supportive of abortion, which kind of actually goes deeper into the whole mother and child thing since abortion destroys the bond between mother and child since it, you know, is a mother killing her own child before they're even born, which is possibly the most horrible thing a mother can do to her own child, is just straight up murder them. Like, that's horrible. Not to say that anybody who has had an abortion is a horrible, evil, irredeemable person, 
obviously anybody can ask for forgiveness, and if they're truly repentant, they'll get forgiveness. If they actually want the forgiveness, they will get it. But that doesn't change the fact that abortion is evil. Just like anybody can do evil things and be forgiven if they truly repent of it and don't want to do evil things anymore. Everybody sins, everybody's a sinner, but abortion is still an evil thing that destroys the relationship between mother and child by literally having a mother kill her own child or pay somebody to kill her own child through multiple means that are equally barbaric, though in different ways, whether that be poisoning or dismemberment or sucking somebody through a tube or any of these things. So the baby devil, devil baby, is actually a symbol that has existed before the Passion. I did not know that, but I now know. I now pass that knowledge on to you guys. Do with that what you will. So, despite Devil Baby being horrifying, he was still a very interesting addition to the movie. And he really, he even though he was just on the screen for like two seconds, he is still like a really, really deep symbol, as you can see from all things that went over. And uh, it's just like the, the relationship between mother and child is one of the most beautiful things that got created. And since God, well, he, God created those for humans. Not and, and animals and everything, but I mean, it is special for humans, especially since we're all made in God's image. And since Satan hates that so much, he quite literally wants to distort it as much as possible, which is why uh, he loves abortion and he loves anything that perverts innocence or destroys relationships and families or destroys families. And these things because he hates humanity and he wants to get rid of all the good things that God gave humanity. Another very disturbing thing in the movie, even though this isn't a symbol, though it, it is still like a bit of a creative license thing that happened that isn't actually directly biblical, is the whole thing with Judas where he's being like tortured by the kids, but they aren't actually kids. Like it isn't real. It's in his head and they're just demons and Basically, because and you know that because you see Satan like behind them in that when they're all going around him and they're going crazy around him, he's like losing his mind. You see Satan kind of standing there, just looking over, like condescendingly looking down on him, and just for a second in between the kids as they walk by or run by, screaming at him and doing kinds of things. And you see one of the kids' like faces like morphs into like a thing. So, yeah, the assumption is they're supposed to be demons of some kind torturing him and, like, giving him a really bad time overall in general. And even though it's not directly biblical, it, there is, in the Bible, it does say that Satan entered Judas. So, as I said before, so it is kind of biblical because, we you know, he was being tormented by something. Whether that be literal demons or metaphorical demons, we don't really know. Could have been both. But we do know that Judas does end up committing suicide over what he does, and it's very, very disturbing the way they do the passion with whole dead donkey and the and the flies and the just creepy, horrifying music and all those things. It's just like it's greatly disturbing. It's really, really, really creepy, and it's just a lot. I mean, a lot of the movies really, really creepy, but that part especially just incredibly disturbing like 
deeply core shakingly disturbing and a lot of this movie is like deeply core shakingly disturbing and that's the point and it's good to watch it because it shows us the what the heck jesus went through for us like he did that all for us and would do it again for any single one of us so you know we we should be very appreciative of that and we are but there are lots of times when we aren't, so we just have to be aware that, you know, we, we should be appreciative of it. Like, just like kids tend to be, sometimes they're not as openly appreciative about what their parents do as they should be. Sometimes they, you know, we're not like that with God sometimes. Like, a lot of times we forget to say thank you if a prayer does get answered, even if it's answered late. Or not late, because God is not late with what he does. He's very uh, deliberate in what he does. But late for our standards, as in after we expected it to be answered. Or if it's answered, even if it's answered in the way that we want, sometimes we don't say thank you because we're caught up in what happened. So we just have to be mindful that God went through all of this for us. So we should be thankful and grateful for what he did that day. The next thing I want to talk about is with a character that everybody forgets about. Actually, not everybody forgets about, but everybody kind of bad talks and then sort of forgets about in the uh, Passion and in the, you know, Station of the Cross, is Simon of Cyrene. And what happens is Simon of Cyrene is a man who the Roman soldiers press into helping Jesus carry the cross because Jesus is falling and he can't hold the cross. So the Roman soldiers grab a Jewish man from the crowd. His name happens to be Simon, and he comes from a town called Cyrene. So he is Simon of Cyrene. And they force him to help Jesus carry the cross. So... Uh, we don't really know much about Simon at all. Like, we, we know pretty much nothing from the Bible. So Mel Gibson, again, took his creative license and made a beautiful character out of Simon of Cyrene, who's only in the movie for, like, a good 15 minutes, maybe less. So obviously, eventually, at first, he is annoyed at this and doesn't want to do it, as we would all be. But then eventually, as he sees Jesus, something in him changes, and as he's walking along, I mean, obviously, if you've seen the movie, you would know this, but he starts to, like, some get some compassion with Jesus. Get it? Compassion, because they're doing the passion together. But <laughs> that joke was bad, but he does get have some compassion for Jesus while he's walking with him. And eventually, he keeps going with him even further than he was supposed to. And what this is is a reference to the biblical... Uh, thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, if a man, if you are forced to walk with a man one mile, go with him two. So Simon of Cyrene is forced to walk with him for one mile, but decides to go with Jesus for two. And even though he took that metaphorical saying very literally, the idea is that we, even if we're forced to do things for people, we should do it like willingly and gracefully and be willing to help them even if it's not something maybe that we wanted to do in the first place we should go into it with a positive attitude because we're helping somebody and we're getting to help somebody even if we didn't maybe we weren't planning on doing it or we don't really want to or don't really feel like doing it at the moment and we get forced in because we're getting forced into it because he does say if you were forced to go with someone one mile and not to say that we shouldn't help people willingly we should wait to be forced no obviously nobody's saying that but if you are forced to help somebody like in a group project at school or forced to train a new employee at work or something like that or work with some new person on a project, 
you should do it willingly and go like you know go up and over with it, not just do the bare minimum and get it over with. And that's what Simon Serene does. He even tries to fight the guards when they take Jesus away and start beating him and brutalizing him again and tells them that that's ridiculous, but they send him away. So Simon of Cyrene, in some ways, is even more faithful than most of Jesus' apostles, who all leave him. Besides John, of course, the best disciple, in my opinion, and many other people who are cultured. And before we get to our final symbolism thing, I just wanted to point out, like, one little thing that was kind of interesting, but another, like, little creepy thing, was that uh, when Jesus is actually on the cross with the two thieves, and the one thief says... That, you know, the whole thing about, oh, you're not really the Messiah. If you were the Messiah, you would take us all down and save us, yada, yada, yada. You know, the bad thief says that, and the good thief is like, oh, I'm, I trust that you're God, even if we're in a bad situation. So I'm going to stay with you, and all I ask is that you remember me when you're in heaven. And then Jesus tells the good thief that uh, you'll be with me when I'm at the right hand of the Father. And uh, nothing biblically happens to the bad thief, but... It, in the, in the movie, the bad thief gets, like, attacked by a bunch of ravens and crows, and it's very disturbing and horrifying because they're, like, eating his face and eyes out. But, you, you know, that's, uh, that, 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 is, that is something that, isn't, that, that happened. And it, um, I mean, it does kind of make sense with the whole thing because God was not the happiest at this point. He, he was pretty angry, actually, which is uh, why there's a bunch of earthquakes and destruction after Jesus dies. God has a, a very, 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 very uh, long fuse, you could say, because I know there's, I don't really know how to say the opposite of being short fused. So you say he has a long fuse and it is difficult to get him upset. But when you get God angry for real, he can do some things that are very bad. <laughs> for us. So try to not be on God's bad side by doing something that is like incredibly insanely uh, evil or depraved. Anyway, just thought that last tidbit was interesting. Uh, Now for the final piece of symbolism, we are going to go back to the scourging at the pillar and we're going to actually also revisit another one of Jesus' sayings at the Sermon of the Mount. This one is one that is famous among Christians and non-Christians alike. Uh, the uh, If someone hits you on your right cheek, turn and give them the other cheek. So basically, the, turn the, uh, what the famously nicknamed turn the other cheek uh, verse, or infamously nicknamed. And this verse has always been uh, used basically to say that Christians should be pacifists and let everybody walk over them and all these things. And that is not the idea of the verse. And the idea of the verse is perfectly, perfectly, perfectly um, depicted in Vashon the Christ at the scourging of the pillar. Basically, they are scourging Jesus and whipping him and he gets back up. So then they do it again, knock him down, and he gets back up again. And this keeps going until Jesus is literally too battered and bloodied to even move. But he still somehow gets up, and then Pilate ends up coming back and stopping them. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he was not telling people to be weak men or to let people walk over you 
or to never, ever, ever defend yourself under any purpose for any reason. That is not the point of the verse. The point of the verse is to establish that strong men and women too, though, I mean, it's more directed to men because in terms of like what it's talking about, it's about how strong men should be able to control their emotions and not lash out at every little thing. If something small happens that you can kind of just brush off, then brush it off. You don't need to react and waste your energy to go fight over something that you don't really need to fight over. Turning the other cheek isn't a thing of like weakness or showing that you're docile. It's showing that you're strong. It's even going as far as far as to imply that the hit didn't hurt. So you're saying hit me again. It's a thing of it's a show of strength. I would say almost taunting the enemy, but not that Jesus would taunt people. But it's a show of strength and also of stoicism that you can't be, you know, pushed into fighting that easily. And that's important because men need to be able to fight for their families when they need to and fight to defend and protect. But men, and we also need to not lash out at every little thing that happens or else we won't be able, we won't have the energy left to actually fight when something that we care about and something that matters to us or someone that matters to us is on the line. That is the real meaning of when Jesus said to turn the other cheek. And it's just like, it's it's so powerful when it's just put that way it's put so visibly in the uh, in the Passion of the Christ. It's also put pretty visibly in the Chosen, too, when Jesus refuses to back down to all kinds of things being said about him and all kinds of things being done and all these horrible things going on, people lies and things being spread and all the challenges against him. And even though the challenges tend to usually just be insults being thrown at him, he's strong enough to not react, not go down to that level and just kind of like, you know, Keep his uh, composure. And that's what he's talking about. And that's just really important, especially to me as a young man, that like to hear this thing and see that Jesus is not telling people to be weak. He's telling people how to be strong. That's the idea behind it. And honestly, I think that might be like one of the most important things about this movie. That it just puts all of the like all of these Bible references and Bible verses so plainly, and it puts the story of the Passion especially so plainly for everybody to see, and for everybody to like you know realize the real depth of not just the Passion but also everything else associated with it and everything that Jesus did. So thank you all for watching. Uh, I really hope you enjoy this. Please, if you haven't watched The Passion already, watch it. I don't know. I mean, saying I'm saying this now at the end. So hopefully you have watched The Passion before watching this. But if you decided to not listen to me and watch this first or listen to this first, then now go watch The Passion. I hope you have been inspired to go watch it. But for most of you who I'm assuming have watched it already by the time this video is over, since I asked you to, you know, watch it before listening to this podcast, then I hope you really enjoyed it and I hope you watch it again with your family on Good Friday. 
maybe not any small children, because, you know, you don't know what Devil Baby is going to do to them, the, the mental state. He's kind of traumatic. While seeing him is a pretty traumatic experience for anybody, even adults. So uh, be careful with that. But uh, everybody have a happy Holy Week. Have a happy Easter. And I'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. TLC out.